and welcome back to another episode of Weird Think About That, where me and my fellow players are given a subject matter and have to find the coolest, weirdest, funniest or most interesting stories on that subject. Stories will be scored by our head judge and the winner will be revealed at the end of the episode. I'm Chris and joining me today, fresh back from his dinner date with Dimitar Berbatov, ciao. Hello. Just back from sniping dogs on the Bulgarian border, Chucky. Yo. And he's looking a bit worse for wear because he's just been astral projecting against our. It's Joe. <laughs> Nobody came to join me. It was just <laughs> me on my own throwing pots and pans at him. Joe, if we could have today's subject, and uh, if you could outline your new scoring I'm just system. Take you. Somebody did ask what the actual rules of the game are, so I've written <laughs> uh, written them down here. Competitors will have up to 2 minutes 25, which is the exact length of Blitzkrieg Bot by the Ramones, to talk about the subject and fulfil the briefings therein. This week, we are using the WOLF scoring system, <laughs> which stands for Well-Organised Literary Fun. <laughs> uh, and this week's subject, crime. Before we get going, does anyone have any own personal brushes with crime? I mean... Yes, but you don't want to hear it because it's a very long story. Are you working for the police? This feels like, have I won a speedboat? <laughs> I, like I have a story from, this is my main brush with crime. It was um, year two in primary school. So I found, so we had these little drawers that pulled out from under the desks and they were made of quite a sort of soft, malleable plastic. And one day I discovered that if you get a ruler, you could saw like really big grooves into this plastic. I didn't ask to be a role model, but before I knew it, half the class were all following me and they were pulling the desks out and, do, and seeing who could make that the biggest groove in these desks. And one day, eventually, the teacher found out and she was like, what's going on here? Who started all this? And I thought, okay, here's my I'm Spartacus moment. All the kids are going to stand up and the fucking entire class just turned to me and pointed. Oh, man. And yeah, I had to pay £2.50 for a new desk drawer and... I've never, uh, I've never gone 50. back to crime. Two pound fifty back then is like yeah. eight pound fifty now. Yeah, <laughs> he's not that old. <laughs> uh, mine involves actual police and like doing a uh, an ID parade and stuff. So we'll save that for like <laughs> wow. a bonus episode <laughs> yeah. or something. And Mrs. Brown's boys as well. It had a whole cat cast of characters. <laughs> mine. Yeah. I'll tell you after. Yeah. Uh, yes, this week's subject. Now Chris has finished confessing. To <laughs> he had to get that off his uh, chest. It's crime, Chris, not confessions. It's crime. Uh, and since now you're in the mood, we'll start with you. Go on. So I'd like to intro this story with a short quote that I like by Bertolt Brecht that says, If you want to steal money, don't rob a bank, open one. The following story is one of a person who chose to ignore that advice and do the most famous criminal caper of robbing a bank. And it also just happens to be the very first recorded bank robbery in history. This bank heist happened in America in 1798 and was deemed a success until the thief tried to redeposit the money back into the very same bank in a stunningly stupid move. They even arrested the wrong man at first, the police department blaming a local blacksmith called Patrick Lyon who had worked on the keys and locks of the vaults of the bank. Thinking that he had just cut himself an extra set of keys to help himself to the contents of the Bank of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, Patrick was arrested for three whole months before the identity of the real thief came to light through his own stupidity. The real thief in question was since identified as Isaac Davis, and Isaac apparently had no plan with what to do with the cash after the heist, and hadn't even come up with a cover story for all his incredible newfound wealth. Confronted with questions about his sudden wealth, Davies gave a full confession and made a deal to return all the money. The kicker is, 
Isaac Davis was given a full pardon and never served a single day in prison, whereas Patrick Lyon, on top of serving his three months in prison, also had to wait an extra few weeks for the charges to be dropped against him. Upon his release, Patrick Lyon wrote a book with the comically long title of The narrative of Patrick Lyon who suffered three months severe imprisonment in Philadelphia jail on merely a vague suspicion of being concerned in a robbery of the Bank of Pennsylvania <laughs> with his remarks thereon. Perhaps because of its amazing name, the, the book actually sold very well. Further to this, Lyon sued and won a false imprisonment case in 1805 and went on to win $12,000, which is about $240,000 in today's money. Gentlemen. Your bottles. That guy was bitter. I mean, you would be a saw, right? <laughs> I mean, you could I tell that book title is just him just fucking raging. <laughs> there's, there's nothing in All the book, that. is this? Yeah. <laughs> wow, just a book cover and empty pages. It's just, like, just full of spit. Like, <laughs> At the like, time, I would be fuming, but quarter of a million pounds for three months, three months inside. Yeah. In olden days, money as well. That's like you could be king with that. Yeah. Well, no, it was, I'm, I'm adjusting for inflation. They, what did he get, like 12 grand? 12 grand so in like, yeah, that's, that's the equivalent of yeah, that so like today, one, so yeah. it would be, yeah. So like three hundred, yeah, yeah two, quarter of a million quid for three months inside. I'd yes, I probably would. Probably about, yeah. I, I, would, I would take that, definitely. Uh, do we know, like, did he just come in with a fake moustache and go, hello, <laughs> I have all this money to deposit. I am a rich merchant <laughs> called Is Guy it? Incognita. <laughs> <laughs> A N other. Uh, I like it's like a sort of juxtaposition of a person that is smart enough to get away with robbing a bank and then so dumb enough to try and deposit back in I mean, the same bank. He yes. did wait three months, so maybe he thought the heat <laughs> had died down. And yeah. when, when was this again, sorry? So this happened in eighty. Well, I think it was eighteen oh three. Oh right. No, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Seventeen ninety eight was the the bank robbery, and three months after that was the. Um, right. So I, I mm, did currency have serial? No, I guess currency didn't have serial numbers. I'm assuming it was just like. Gold ingots and stuff back then, weren't it? Yeah. I think it's old West times, but it's um, it probably was like printed money. But I don't think it would have had the sophistication of today's sort of um, currency. Hmm. Well, Judging from the bank tellers at my local Barclays, they would not have realised after three months. <laughs> but yeah. no, but I'm thinking this is like I don't know. It's Philadelphia, so it's a pretty big town. So maybe he did think he could reasonably get away with it, but it's that he never even came up with a cover story at all. To cover I've, any of this. My rich auntie one. died and I left me all this money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah not just... Uh, easy as that, isn't it? I, I, yeah. We're big win at a casino. She died of I dysentery. Won, won it on craps, yeah. Anything. <laughs> the old Oregon Trail. I was going to say, it's, it's Philadelphia, not. <laughs> Jockey. All right. So, my tale involves a tenacious Irishman born in 1618 in County Clare named Thomas Blood, a.k.a. Colonel Blood. In April 1671, Thomas Blood would start his plot to steal the Orb, the Scepter, and the Crown, which are collectively named the Crown Jewels. Like any good heist, there was a lot of preparation put into this, and of course a crew was put together. Tom enlisted the help of a prostitute to play the role of his wife, as well as three other men to play the role of his nephew and friends, one of which being his brother-in-law. Tom started by going to view the jewels in the Tower of London, pretending to be a parson as he did so. He became friendly with Talbot Edwards, who was the keeper of the jewels. Tom would come back days late with his quote-unquote wife, who after the last visitors had left, feigned stomach issues. Edwards would let her stay in his apartment located above the jewels to rest. This little charade was instrumental in building trust between Blood and Edwards, and a few days later, Tom came to visit Edwards with four pairs of white gloves for his wife as a thank you. 
On May 9th, 1671, Tom, along with his friends, would ask to see the jewels. As soon as they gained access to the room containing the jewels, though, they threw a cloak over the keeper and knocked him unconscious with a mallet. <laughs> the very same mallet was then used to hammer the crown flat so it could be concealed under their clothes. <laughs> the scepter, being too long to hide, had to be cut in half. And the orb, well, the orb fit nicely down some pants. <laughs> Tom and his accomplices, however, would end up getting caught without getting past the Iron Gate of the Tower of London. Whilst in custody, Tom refused to answer any questions, instead only saying, I'll answer to none but the king himself. You see, Tom knew the king had a certain penchant for scoundrels and rapscallions, and figured he'd be able to use his Irish charms to get off the hook. King Charles was apparently amused by how Tom tried to make out that the crown jewels previously valued at £100,000 were likely worth something more like, I don't know, 6000 Which is a classic tactic we've all used at some point in our life, especially when trying to get out of trouble for fucking something up. The weirdest thing about this, though, is that the king didn't only just pardon Tom, but he even gave the guy his own land in Ireland worth £500 a year. This makes Tom Blood not only uh, a person who had the spuds to attempt to steal the crown jewels, but also the only one to receive a royal pardon for doing so. Well, Gentlemen, you're a bottles. This is the second story you've, re- you've referred to testicles as spuds. <laughs> oh, well, you know, they're, they're spud-like. Right, guys? I, I'm going back to the, um, the mallet... Uh, they threw a cloak. I just, it's so Tom and Jerry, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I just imagine like the bump on his head go, Woo! and then little beef eaters run around the outside of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, man. I mean, like, so he, he spent ages, sort of, well, it's ages, like over a month, talking to the guy, getting to know him, feigning illness, giving him, you know, gifts and stuff. And um, his nephew did play a role in it all because they were like trying to set his nephew up with his daughter, sort of thing. <laughs> This is the most elaborate... Yeah! Ocean's Eleven! Yeah, yeah. rightly fucking... So if you're trying to steal the crown jewels, you'd think it'll be a little more than a fucking mallet to the head, wouldn't you? (laughs) One guy guarded him, though. And he's easily bought off with some gloves, apparently. (laughs) Four. Four pairs. I'd like to think this was like... Someone asked him to steal them for him, and he actually did it. And when he come out, there's just a flat crown, a scepter snapped into, and an orb covered in ball sweat. <laughs> no, he, he holds the crown up and then turns it sideways. And it's flat. Well, yeah, dr- during the robbery, like some of the the we've got the mallet. <laughs> some of the stones came completely out. Most of them loose. The scepter was sawn in two. So it's, it's kind of it's like um, one of those genie wishes, isn't it? You know, it's like, oh, like the cursed monkey ball. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like, well, I've got them, but now they're covered in ball sweat. Is the, ba- mm-hmm. is the value in it worth... Is there a... I don't know a lot about the crown jewels, especially the 17th century. I don't know if there's been a subsequent incarnation, but was there a lot of, like, precious metals and gold and diamonds? Or is it symbolic? Is it the... You know, is it like the Mona Lisa, which is essentially paint and canvas? Well, which is worth a load of money. I, I think, you know, if they held... Um, and anything, even if it was just iron, you know, it's a, the king's gear, yeah. right? So I think that's what makes it. Yeah, I don't think they're stealing one. it for scrap metal. Well, it's exactly like if you beat it, flat, it's probably the artistry it down, and, and the shape yeah. of it is part of the worth that's of it. Absolutely and, butchered. That's why I was wondering. Yeah, they probably you, 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 half the value of it just by doing what they did with. And yeah. you'd have to wait at least three months before you like returned it for a reward, wouldn't you? Yeah. you know, <laughs> to it, the gift shop. <laughs> that's it. After poor old uh, Mr. Edwards was... Yeah. Is, it the, yeah, is it the equivalent of stealing a Bugatti, uh, Bugatti Veyron and then cubing it and going like, you know, squashing it into a little cube and going, I've stolen a Bugatti Veyron, would you like to buy this from me? It's like, not anymore, no. <laughs> Maybe. Wow. <laughs> I'm not much of a wine drinker. 
I can't help but notice a particular brand of wine has come to prominence recently. A brand called 19 Crimes, seemingly everywhere at the minute, so kudos to the branding and marketing department at Treasury Estates. The origin of this name is that there were 19 crimes which would get you deported to Australia between 18, no, 1787 and 1868. Crimes which would get you to sent to Australia in the 18th and 19th century, including some predictable ones such as theft, buying or receiving stolen goods and assault with intent to rob. Some of the more ex- unexpected ones were impersonating an Egyptian, <laughs> That's the bangles fucked then. <laughs> Stealing fish from a pond and river and watermen carrying too many passengers on the Thames, if any of them died. This is about as close as you get to Victorian health and safety. <laughs> Drown someone through greed and they'll deport you. I can't help but get the impression it's deliberately ambiguous in its language. Luckily, modern government guidance and legislation no longer suffers from being vague and ambiguous. <laughs> I can only imagine the dilemmas Waterman faced back then, torn between cramming people onto a boat to maximise profits on one hand and increases the chances of being sent to Australia for manslaughter on the other. The charge of impersonating an Egyptian is actually an outdated term for the travelling community. The term gypsy is a corruption of the word Egyptian, as originally people thought that the travelling community originated from Egypt. This may come as a surprise, seeing as uh, Britain is now a bastion of acceptance and tolerance nowadays, but back then, some people were suspicious of the travelling community, and so logically, impersonating one was judged as behaviour that warranted being shipped to the other side of the planet, never seeing friends or family again. In total, around 168,000 people were sent to Australia for the aforementioned crimes. Prisons were expensive to run, and so shipping them off to form new colonies and potentially make money seemed a more elegant and humane solution to the previous one make most crimes punishable by death. The legal system in England in the late 16th century to the mid 19th century made crimes such as cutting down trees, being out at night with a blackened face, and being an unmarried mother concealing a stillborn child punishable by death. (sighs) The good old days. Gentlemen, you're a bulls. Well, there's there's something that I'm not going to touch at all. Uh, But... When you first said mimicking a, an Egyptian, I was definitely thinking sort of not that anybody can see, but <laughs> you, you know what I'm doing. Yeah, you, you uh, know exactly what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, so it, it's, it's stop that. I'll send you to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, do it, man. I, I won't mind going to Australia. You kidding me? It's. Yeah. I thought that it's like, oh no, it's going to be summer all the time, and we've got lobsters the size of canoes Whoa. to quote Bill Hicks. But I think back then going like. I did a little bit of research on Botany Bay and the early Australian mm. com- uh, colonies. It was not very yeah. nice. No. <laughs> when you started talking about, oh, yeah, manual labour, then I was going, well, maybe it's not so bad. The journey itself, you were like on a ship for like six, seven, eight months. Yeah, and... It's half the world, isn't it? And yeah. oldie time travel, it's... yeah. Well, you had to go right the way around Africa, didn't you? Mm. Yeah, you went, it was basically south, right at Cape Horn and the yeah. South Africa, and then... Yeah, there was no... Did, uh, Suez yeah. Canal back then. And, and you was... keep going until you die or you <laughs> oh. get to Australia. <laughs> oh, Where you land, would then die. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine you made it like six months, you got offshore and then you just got bitten by a black widow spider like day one. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so you've survived six months on the ship and immediately everything on this island wants to kill you anyway, yeah. <laughs> it is a very sort of Hunger Games style punishment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Survive if you can, live if I let you. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> I mean, the first sort of actual non-prisoner settlers of Australia, they had so much land to play with. The... What, you mean the indigenous people that lived there? Okay, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the invaders, then. Um, you know, the, 
there's there's cattle stations there now that you could drive for two days and not leave. Like, yeah, well, there's it's, such a vast amount of land there. It's that... only the outside of Australia that really mm. has cities. The, yeah. right, the middle bit of it is just like a scorched I mean, hellhole, isn't it? Even yeah. the sort of western coast is still very. I mean, yeah. Perth is the most isolated city on earth. It's the city furthest away from all other cities, and that's not even Russia. <laughs> oh. Thing about Russia is you, you, yeah. <laughs> you can you can make up facts about it. Nobody can call you out. Yeah, it's getting exponentially worse as well with climate change as well, man. Because like they're bearing the brunt of it, and like, isn't, isn't, wasn't the hole in the ozone layer directly sort of pretty above, much above, above them? Wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And like, they don't have enough dangerous things there already. Toilet spiders, snakes, kangaroos oh, that look man. ripped, big yeah. fuck off sharks. Yeah, yeah, like and, and, and now no ozone melanomas. Yeah, what a time to be alive. But other than that, it's a wonderful place to be. I have found it. Is I really want to go, but I think I would rather visit the what seems to be the less lethal New Zealand next to it. I think would be my preferred destination. I'm not brave enough for Australia. Yeah, but Australia's like the ah, and New Zealand's very much like the. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. Australia's the loud, shouty version. It's like the redneck version of New Zealand. You can have a drive-in beer in Australia. Like you get pulled over by the police and you've got a beer up and it's fine as long as it's your only one. Right. Yeah. As long as you've got your seatbelt on, you're allowed three. <laughs> as long as you share it with the police. I like Australians because they have yeah. a really sort of fuck you, I'll do what I want sort yeah. of attitude about them. But yeah, I have I have family that live over there. It's, oh really? Yeah. I also really like Nightning Crimes. It's good. It, I like the, is it the reserve one? It's really good. Have you had the one? I've recently had the one that it has a shot of uh, espresso in it. <laughs> I think it's called uh, 19 Crimes. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's There's a 19 Crimes rosé that Snoop Dogg is the brand ambassador of. So I'm going to give that a go. <laughs> such an enigma. That, that fucker will sell anything, won't he? It's like, just eat, what is it? Fine, I'll sell it. You see him nowadays, it's hard to sort of think he was on trial for murder at one point know, yeah. then, when he's on Martha Stewart and selling Rosé. <laughs> or, or just eat, or... Yeah. Uh, I think he has the world's record for the largest cocktail made, where he made a massive gin and juice on stage. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the man also shot pornography and things yeah, as well. Back in, back in like... Before gonna, he got I think kids. we're going to have to do a Snoop Dogg episode. There's so <laughs> we'll much just, we can dive into. Discovered all the good bits. You went to high school with Cameron Diaz as well. I think he sold Cameron Diaz weed in high school. He claims that she has no, no memory of it. She has right. no idea who he is. I'm excited to see this new scoring system, Joe. Can we <laughs> unleash the wolf? Um, the wolf says um, they were all well organised literary fun, but I just like the fact that their whole. Let's rob the crown jewels. Was bonk a guy? Throw a bag over him and bonk him on the head. Too so, horny. Bonk. <laughs> uh, so this week's winner is Chucky. Yes. Woo! Well deserved. No longer welcome at your local swimming pool. Banned from your library. We want to hear your stories about crime. You can follow us on Twitter at WeirdThingPod and come and say hello. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Weird thing about that. Hashtag I don't know how Twitter works.